Our scripture from the narrative lectionary for this, the first Sunday of Advent, comes from the Hebrew Testament, the book of Daniel. It's about Daniel, not by Daniel. And the book of Daniel is fascinating. It was written in three languages, actually. So there are six court tales, which are written in Aramaic, and then four chapters of apocalyptic visions and prophecies, which are written in Hebrew. And then if you have a Catholic Bible, the final section, which contains the story of Bell and the dragon, is written in Greek. Well, why so many languages? That's unique. Uh, womanist scholar Will Gaffney refers to Daniel as a figure of legend whose stories were told in each generation with new stories added on to the canon as they were needed. She compares it to uh, the Marvel comics, you know, those legendary heroes. There's always a new chapter. Scholars think that Daniel was written in the second century during a time of persecution under Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, with rising power in Rome, Antiochus is trying to Hellenize the Jewish people. And so there's a lot of persecution and pressure on them to adopt Greek religious practice and Greek ways. And the stories of Daniel encourage the Jewish people that God is still with them and faithful to protect them as they preserve their culture, as they cling to their religion and their way of life. The stories of Daniel span a long time period, a period of exile and captivity under three empires, Babylonian, Persian, and Greek. In 586 BCE, the Southern Kingdom of Judah is completely destroyed. Uh, the city of Jerusalem is burned and the people are captured and deported to Babylon. And that is the beginning of then this, the time of these stories of Daniel. These are the stories of a people in exile, people who are far from their homeland. In our passage this morning, Daniel, the exile from Judah, has risen to favor within the king's court. And he's actually on his third king. Um, when the book of Daniel opens, it's King Nebuchadnezzar. And we learn that Daniel has joined the imperial court as a young man with his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They are raised to serve in the court and they are even renamed. Daniel is named Belteshazzar. His friends are renamed Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Even as young men, they resist the ways of empire. They refuse to eat the imperial food. Then they refuse to worship King Nebuchadnezzar for which they are thrown into a fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar dies, his son takes the throne and for that king, Daniel interprets the rioting on the wall and correctly says, O king, Babylon is going to fall. The Persians are coming. And they do come. So now we have the Persian Empire. The third king for the prophet Daniel, King Darius, is installed on the throne. And as our story opens, he is about to encounter the God of Daniel, the exile of Judah. Today's reading is from the book of Daniel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 23. It pleased King Darius to set over the kingdom 120 governors stationed throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three chief officers, including Daniel. Two of these governors gave account, so that the king might suffer no loss. 
Soon, Daniel distinguished himself above all the other officers and governors, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to appoint him over the whole kingdom. So the officers and the governors tried to find grounds for complaint against Daniel in connection with the kingdom, but they could find no grounds for complaint or any corruption because he was faithful and no negligence or corruption could be found in him. The leader said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So the officers and governors conspired and came to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the officers of the kingdom, the prefects and the governors, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce a law that whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the law and sign the document so that it cannot be changed, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and law. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room open toward Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise the Holy One, just as he had done previously. The conspirators came and found Daniel praying and seeking mercy before his God. Then they approached the king and said concerning the law, O king, did you not sign a law that anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, within thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the den of lions? The king answered, The thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they responded to the king, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the law you have signed, but he is saying his prayers three times a day. When the king heard the charge, he was very much distressed. He was determined to save Daniel, and until the sun went down he made every effort to rescue him. Then the conspirators came to the king and said to him, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no law or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king gave the command, and Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you. A stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No food was brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at the break of day, the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. When he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel then said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent God's angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, because I was found blameless before God, and also before you, O king, I have done no wrong. 
Then the king was exceedingly glad, and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please pray with me. Holy One, I offer you this time and these words for the healing of our families, our cities, our communities, our countries, and our land. Speak to us what we need to hear this morning, God. Amen. So Daniel and the lion's den. The text says, although Daniel knew the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room open toward Jerusalem to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to God and praise him just as he had done previously. Really? With the windows open, was he praying aloud? Was he asking for trouble? All prophets are troublemakers, right? And Daniel's one of them in a long line. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, trouble. Maybe it's his destiny. Daniel's name, his native name, not Belteshazzar, the colonized one, but his true name, Daniel, means God is my judge. God is my judge. When Daniel emerges from the lion's den, he says to the king, I was found blameless before God and also before you, O king. I have done no wrong. God is my judge. It is clear that Daniel breaks the law on purpose. He could have closed the windows. He could have hidden. But Daniel knows what's going on. This is a personal attack on his leadership. Right? Verse 3 says the, the new king was about to appoint him over the whole kingdom. And the king liked Daniel because he wasn't corrupt. He was faithful. He wasn't negligent. He did his job. He did his job. While we see Daniel as a rebel, his job, his work, was keeping that same empire, that colonization force running. Daniel spends his day deep entrenched within the imperial machine. And that's what survival is like, right? That's what it means to be colonized. Daniel knows this is an attack on his leadership and he understands the implications for other exiles like him, right? Aren't they all looking at Daniel, the exile of Judah? All of those who worship the God of their ancestors will suffer or benefit from Daniel's actions. So Daniel continues to pray three times a day with the window open. And while the king, the new Persian king, while he spends the night fasting and fretting, unable to sleep in anguish over the consequences of his actions, we don't, we don't get to know what happens to Daniel, our hero in the lion's den. We don't see any anxiety from Daniel, only audacity and confidence. God is my judge. I have done no wrong. Daniel is faithful to his native name. 
He knows that committing a crime doesn't make him guilty when the law he breaks is unjust. Two years ago, uh, many hundred, I think, I think there were almost 700 of us at one point who gathered in front of the federal prison in Sheridan, Oregon, in Yamhill County. I am sure some of you this morning um, were there, were there. And we gathered in front of this federal prison in rural Oregon because inside were 121 men, the majority of them Sikh, who were being held captive, who were imprisoned. The men were immigrants, exiles, many from Pakistan, India. They had come seeking asylum and they were met with Immigration Customs Enforcement. They were denied their turbans, they were denied access to the basic hygiene needed to perform their prayers. And so we gathered a whole interfaith group of us from Jewish traditions, Episcopalian, um, certainly Protestant, and the Sikhs. We celebrated the Eucharist and broke bread together on in this field. And then we chanted the, the Sikh mantras, Wahe Guru. Afterwards, we, we ate a feast that the Sikh community in their tradition had prepared. I was there with my children. I was glad to stand in that field under the hot sun. And then as their imprisonment dragged on, I was glad in a way to go to public actions that we held at the ICE headquarters on McAdam. One day I'll never forget, we had finally gotten access Emerge had worked and gotten uh, lawyers in to the prison and had interviewed each of the men and started the process of their asylum cases, which can take a long time. And so we had gotten copies of their testimonies. Many of them had to be translated, but we had the copies. And we spent the day there on McAdam reading in a microphone the testimonies of these men. I worry about my family. I need to get word to them. I don't understand what is happening to me. I don't understand why I am here. I am not a criminal. God is my judge. I have done no wrong. Now we know that religious freedom in our country, in the United States of America, has always been more myth than reality, but it's it's still our hope and our intent, right? So much, so, so flawed. Um, the language of the separation of church and state was a big fight at its drafting, right? Four Quakers were hanged in Boston in the late 1600s because they kept being Quakers and refusing to stop. In 1777, the New York State Constitution banned Catholics from holding office. Delaware required an oath um, affirming your belief in the Trinity. So many different laws. And perhaps the one that captures my attention the most is around the people that were enslaved at that time. It was illegal for any enslaved person to attend worship services, even to pray without the permission of a slave owner. Some did have church because the slave owners hired preachers and the text was, slaves obey your masters, thou shalt not steal. But oh, just like Daniel, with just as much audacity, the enslaved prayed anyway. 
If you look up slave narratives, it's go check them out. You can read amazing stories about these prayer meetings. At night, under cover of darkness, in freezing cold cabins, prayers for deliverance. Prayers for deliverance, not from lions, but from whips and chains. Deliverance from loss of children, loved ones. Prayers of protection for escape and rescue. One account said they put a washtub basin upside down, a metal washtub, to catch the sound because they would get so filled with the Holy Spirit and the whooping and the hollering and the carrying on of those prayers had to be kept quiet for them to stay alive. There were no open windows in the iron nights of enslavement, but the heart of African-American resistance was nurtured in those times, in the refusal to be silent, in the audacity to pray. God is my judge. I have done nothing wrong. As people of faith, as people who have found our way to Lake Oswego United Church of Christ, we live in the gap, right? In the gap between the liberation that we long for, not only for ourselves, but for others and for the next generations, and our present day imperfection of freedom. On Thursday night, we held an interfaith gratitude service with Beit Havarim, the Baha'i community, and Bosniak's educational and cultural organization. And we shared prayer and reading and song because we are captured by this commitment to religious freedom. But we know there is more work to do, right? The, the legacies of slavery continue and the people whose land we occupy cannot practice their faith. And that is where I want to challenge us with our work this morning as we seek to live into this story of Daniel. I realize that I might be more on the apocalyptic side than some folks might find comfortable. And that's okay. That's all right. But but just hear me out a little. Give me a little give me a little time. And uh, Thank you, thank you for hearing me. I have this vision, I can't, I can't help it, it's just in my body and it's, it just fills me. I have this longing for a way of living on our land and in our community that is different than the way we live now. And I'm gonna try to explain it. We, I, maybe you too, we are followers of Jesus. Right? That's where that's where my faith and why the freedom to have that faith is so, that's where the heart of it is for me. And that's why I want it so much, that freedom for other people, because I know how much it means to me to be able to name and claim God and live in your own spiritual authority. For me, that comes in the person of Jesus and in God, the creator. For me, the mama, the mother. Followers of Jesus, our sacred elements are the bread and the cup, right? The book and the cross, our stories. And all of that actually fits in a backpack. It can travel across an ocean. 
It did. My ancestors came from the European continent. It's portable. It's portable and it's holy. At my most playful and rebellious, and I, I can be pretty rebellious, um, I never let the children treat the bread or the cup with disrespect. Right? Because they are sacred. They are essential. They are essential. As our stories, as our connections with each other are sacred stories. For the First Nations of the land that we occupy, for those people, the elements of religious practice will not fit in a backpack. That's not how religion works if you're Native American. I mean, you can fit sage in a backpack, maybe an eagle feather, maybe peyote, a, possibly stuff in a jingle dress, a hand drum, but, but that's too small. Have you seen the drums? They don't fit in backpacks. But the main thing you cannot put into a backpack and take with you is the land, is the soil that holds the bones of your ancestors. And that is sacred, not as evidence of God's glory, but as the bread and as the cup. As the bread and as the cup. The mountain is the bread and the cup. It is the story itself. It is the way your body knows that story and remembers it across time and space and through generations. And yeah, the story can change if you're moved and moved and removed. But if you don't have the soil and you don't have the river and you don't have the mountain, you can't do the practice. You can't have freedom of religion. You are fractured. So for me, it's less about wealth and it's more about religious freedom. The situation that we are in today. You know, until 1978, 1978 was the American Indian Religious Freedom Act. Before that, you couldn't even do the sage or the peyote. Smoke, drumming. Mm -mm. I checked just because I was curious and in our city ordinances in Lake Oswego, there, oh, there's a whole bunch of stuff around noise. Go look it up. What's fascinating is that you can't make any noise on Christmas Day. And I don't, I don't think that's because of Santa. I think it's because it's our holy day. I know that uh, it's difficult to speak about the, the return of the land, to talk about reparations, but that's part of my vision. And I know that Lake Oswego has a history, maybe an infamous notoriety for the racial covenants in the deeds of our city, provisions that land down through the generations they persisted, couldn't be sold to African-American or to Chinese. There was actually a big Chinese community in Lake Oswego in the late 1800s because of Oregon iron and steel. And I heard about the deer heads as I know you did, that were left next to the Black Lives Matter signs. But I still have a vision. I have a vision because of Daniel. I have a vision because of Jesus. God is my judge. I didn't do anything wrong. 
I'm always struck that King the King King Darius didn't realize that his 30-day law would apply to Daniel. Was he really that naive? Did it get slipped into another executive order travel ban? Once he realizes, he works all day to stop it. And maybe that's where we are in that, in that desperation. But the king isn't able to stop it, right? What stops it? What brings, what brings Daniel safety? It's this song. Maybe you know this song. See if I can play it for you. It's God, right? God is the only one who can deliver Daniel. And why not then every one? Why not every one of us? Only God was able to close the lion's mouths and deliver Daniel the exile of Judah from his death. Only God could close the lion's mouths and free the king from the anguish of causing the death of his trusted advisor. I see us people of faith, people who follow Jesus in our daily struggle to find solutions, in our insomnia, in our longing for liberation. We want to live in a place where all people flourish. And in my vision, there's a powwow again by the river. Right there, right at George Rogers Park. And it's because the tribes own that land again. It's not, it's not hired out, right, with performers, which we do in our good intentions, we do that. You know, we hire them to come and perform and cook for us maybe, but that's not my vision. My vision is they have the land again. They have the sovereignty, the rule. They are the exiles returning home, growing and cooking their own food, also part, an important part of the ceremony, and singing their prayers their way. I know that time is coming. I know it. I, I know it because God delivered Daniel. God delivered Daniel and God freed the king. God brings the exiles home. We stand in the gap. And my hope for us is that we might grow into wisdom and leave our naivety behind. My vision and my hope is that we could see the land as the bread and the cup as the literal body of God, not for ourselves, but for the first peoples and all those who claim it. My hope and my, my vision is that we would take steps toward reparation, serious steps, not out of guilt, but out of relief, out of relief and, and joy to be people who can risk much, can face death, can do the uncomfortable, and I don't know the in-between, right? I don't know how we get to authentic relationship with the tribes. I don't know how we decide which, which parts of the land. I don't know how we change the noise ordinances if we need to. So there isn't a bunch of bureaucratic red tape. I, I don't have the details, but what I do have is the hope and the knowledge that God is our judge 
that God is our judge. And if we want to say, I have done no wrong. I am found blameless before you, O God. Even better, God, I have done no harm and I have given my life for the sake of peace. If we want to say that, then we move ahead. Then we move ahead into these conversations and we wrestle and you can come and fight with me. <laughs> I want you to come. I want you to come fight with me. Beloved, whatever lion's dens you are facing, maybe this is not your vision. It's mine. But maybe this is not your vision. Maybe you are facing the lion den of addiction. Maybe you are facing the lion den of illness. I know we just celebrated Thanksgiving. What a weird holiday, wasn't it? Oh my gosh, the heartbreak. My kids cried. What about grandma and grandpa? All of the things, whatever lion's dens you are facing, God delivers us. But God is our judge. And what will we say about what we have done for the sake of standing up for religious freedom in our country? That's my challenge, as it's also my blessing. We walk on into the short, cold nights of winter and we turn our faces toward the light of Christ, the one who faces death in the certain hope of resurrection, the one who shows us that God, our God, the God, the, the many-rivered God from all the sources, that holy mystery is bigger than empire. And healing and peace are possible. They are our birthright. They are already on the way. God is my judge. Hallelujah. Amen.